Have you ever felt in your life, have you ever felt out of place at church? Ever felt out of place at church? Like, like you just didn't fit in? You know, you walk in. Um, I, I've even felt like this before. You walk in and you go, yeah, I'm not dressed right. <laughs> I, I didn't get the dress code before. They really should put that on their website. By the way, we have that on our website. It basically says, um, dress. Uh, don't, don't come naked, but uh, just come. Okay, um, maybe you didn't, you didn't dress right or... Um, or, or maybe, I, I like this one, like, you, you ever feel like you go to church and, and you don't know the secret handshake? You, you know, like, the, the way that the other church people greet each other, and, it, and it's so, sometimes it's so weird. Like, we, we have, in, in church culture, it's like this whole subculture that we have, the way that we talk, the way that we greet each other, we call each other brother and sister. Like, we, people don't do that outside of church, right? They don't walk around, um... Um, doing that. And you go, oh, how you been? How was your week? Oh, I'm blessed. I'm blessed, brother. <laughs> really? What does that mean? I don't know, but I am. Whatever it is, uh, I, I am that. So we have this whole language in church that we use with each other, and uh, I, I don't really know where that, why that is or where it came from, but um, just an interesting thing. But, but the deal is that if you come into that churchy subculture and you're not a part of it, it makes you feel out of place. Like it makes you feel like you, you don't belong. You don't know the right things to do. And, and that's part of the reason that we try to prepare you here at Real Life for everything that's going to come up. So we, before we take communion, we have people come up. We go, hey, this is what we're doing, and this is why we're doing it, and this is how we do it. And, and you don't have to do it, but, but if you want to, this is how. And, and we talk about offering, why we take an offering, and how we work through that process. I want to tell you a few stories that we um, really get into it this morning. I want to tell you three stories that really help to shape real life church in, in the very beginning. Okay, so like even before real life was even a thought, there were some things that were going on that, that really kind of laid the foundation for what kind of a church real life was going to be. And, and so um, just, a, just a few stories here. Before, uh, long before real life, uh, I had a, a, a friend, I, I don't know, if, wasn't really a friend, just an acquaintance, I, I knew him, I, I knew, you know, I knew him, his wife, and kids, that kind of thing, weren't friends, but, but we knew each other, and he calls me up one day, and he says, hey, I need to get together with you because something happened, and I need to get your opinion. I, so I was a pastor at the time, a small church, and, um, and so he says, I need, to, I need to get your opinion, something happened, and I'm not sure what to do. Okay. So we got together, we're sitting down, we're having coffee, and he tells me this story. He was at his church, and they were having a big event, and the place was packed out, and there was a young man there who had a baseball cap on. And in the middle of the service, he got up, as any respectful person, right, would do, any, any person like over the age of 40 would do, and he got up and he walked down to the front where this young man was, and, and he asked him politely to remove his cap. Which, again, if you're over the age of 40, you know that back in the day, that's what you did. You walk inside a building, you take your hat off. Um, my, my friend Jim, can I point to you, Jim? Jim's behind the camera. You can't see him. Uh, if, well, you can see him, but they can't see him. Uh, Jim wears a hat, right? But you know, when he comes up to pray for community talk, you know what he does? He takes his hat off when he prays, because that's respectful, right? That's how we grew up. 
Now, I'm sure, I don't know Jim's parents, but I'm sure if his mom walked in and he was wearing a hat, he'd take it off. Maybe not, but (laughs) we have that idea, right? And so that's like this cultural thing that we do. So this guy, Christian guy, walks up to this young kid, had no idea who he was, and asked him to take his hat off, and he didn't. So he asked him again. And then he waited a little bit, and he asked him again. again. So all of a sudden, this like simple little thing where he was just trying to be respectful to the older, like this, my friend's trying to be respectful to the older generation. He now has caused a scene in the middle of church because he keeps going up and asking this guy to take his hat off. So well, after church, he starts talking to people and he's keeping track. Did I do the right thing? Did I do the wrong thing? What was it? And he's getting both sides, right? You know, because when you do something and sometimes you want to know, you ask people until you get enough people who agree with you and then you stop asking. So that's what he was doing. So he comes to me and he says, what do you think? Did I do the right thing or do, did I do the wrong thing? And, and I said, I said Here, here's my take. Do you know whether that young man was a believer in Jesus or not? No, I don't know. I said, then his hat was not worth his soul. As a small town pastor, um, my previous ministry, I knew a lot of other small town pastors, still do. We kind of hang out sometimes. And small town pastors, it's a different kind of, kind of, I don't know if you've ever been in a small town church, but it's a different kind of, of animal. So small town churches, they, they want their pastor, first of all, I could not be a small town pastor anymore because I wear jeans and t-shirts um, and shorts. It is getting warmer. That will happen. Okay. So um, when I was in this small town, you know, I had to wear a suit and, and they expected small town churches expect their pastor to look nice, to, to dress nice. He's supposed to have a wife who looks nice and dresses nice and stays quiet and 2.5 kids, right? I mean, that's like the ideal small church pastor family. Most small church churches, though, they, they pay their pastors at like um, wherever the po- poverty line is, they just like take 10% because that's Jesus, you know? Um, and then that's where they pay them at. Because they don't pay them a lot, right? And so what happens is, about once a year, the small town church gets together, they take up an offering within the people of the church, and then they present it to the pastor and his family once a year. They have a potluck, and everybody gets together, and they appreciate the pastor. Oh, we really appreciate you, and you're great, and whatever. Um, Here's some money. But here's what they do. And I, and I, I I get it, all right? I get it, but it's odd. So what they do is they take up this money, Remember, the small town pastor doesn't get paid very much. So he's probably got kids that need diapers, cars that need tires, shoes, I, I don't know, food in the, in the fridge. Like there's stuff that the, that the guy needs to do for his family. And the church will take up this offering and they'll give him this cash money. Now, the first thing that you think of if you're that pastor is, oh my goodness, we can pay this bill, we can pay our taxes, we can do this. And then they, they, they drop the hammer, right? They go, here's the money, and then they go, We'd like you to buy a new suit. Actually happened to me. Here's the money, but you got to buy a new suit with it. Huh, okay. <laughs> so my Goodwill suit isn't good enough um, for church. 
and now I got to take this money where I could bless my family with it, and now I got to buy a suit so you don't have to look at the same suit every Sunday when you see me. Okay. Um, I also uh, had that happen one time, and they gave me money, and, and they told me, um, uh, you're going to take this money, and we want you to buy a trench coat, you know, a long dress coat, so that when you do funerals in the winter, you, you have a nice coat. You look nice. See, they wanted me to look nice the one or two days a week that anybody ever saw me. But what it felt like was, we don't really care about your family situation. We just want you to look good for us. That's how that comes across. Shortly after we started Real Life, a, a, a woman came into church for the first time. And after church, was standing down the lobby and we were talking and she came up to me and told me about a church experience that she had had recently. She had gone into a church, and whatever one, doesn't matter. She'd gone into this church. She'd attended. She said the message was good. The, the music was good. It was all, it like felt churchy. It was good. She felt pretty good there. And then after church, she was in the lobby trying to fit in, trying to talk to people, trying to build some relationship, you know, trying to find a place to call home. And uh, uh, somebody came. I don't know who it was, male or female. I don't know. But somebody came to them, and they were having a conversation with this lady, and it was all going very well. Like, oh, welcome, we're so glad you're here, you know, what's the name, what's the ages of your kids, all of that kind of stuff. And then at the very end of the conversation, the individual leaned into this woman and said, just so you know, we dress our best for God here. And that was the end of the conversation. Every Sunday... In churches all across this country, broken and hurting people come through the doors looking for encouragement and acceptance, but instead what they often receive is condemnation. Condemnation about their clothing, condemnation about their children, about the language that they use, or their lack of insider knowledge. Now I don't think I don't think these church people, I don't think we as Christians, I don't think we do this on purpose. But practically, in a practical way, we're telling our guests that God's commands in that person's moment of vulnerability matters more than the condition of their heart. And that's the very same thing that Jesus condemned the religious leaders of his day for. Jesus said it this way. The Sabbath, which is a day of rest, and by like God gave the Sabbath to man, and we said, don't do any regular work on the Sabbath. By the way, Sabbath is Saturday. We worship on Sunday because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And, but the Sabbath, for the Old Testament and, and early New Testament believers, the Sabbath was the day that they honored God, that they didn't cook, like they cooked twice as much on Friday. They didn't have to cook on Saturday. They didn't mow the lawn on Saturday. They didn't, they didn't go out. They didn't do, like they had all these regulations for this. For God said, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And then they had this huge list of rules and regulations about how to do that. Jesus said this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Today we might say it this way, church Coming together as a body of believers was made for us. Like God said, God gave the church to his 
followers, his believers, and said, look, this is the place that you're going to find encouragement, and you're going to find hope and, and help, and, and, and it's, there's going to be love there, and it's going to be this family, it's going to be this great thing. And so he, he gives his followers the church, and back in the day they were like, no, you exist to serve the church. The church isn't here for you, you're here for the church. That was kind of the idea that they had. So let me bring this into the 21st century with our bottom line for today, okay? Remember, the bottom line is just that thing I say, if you don't remember anything else, remember this. Take this with you. God's more interested in your soul than your suit. God's more interested in your soul in your suit. I think that's what he was saying. The, 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 the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He was saying, look, the, there's an important thing here, and it's, and it's not what you think it is. We can see this plainly, I think, in the text for today. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. Galatians chapter 6. Again, you can follow along in your, in your Bible. I like my oldest son, Trevor. He came up and gave the communion talk. He's just an old soul, right? And that's why I think he probably would have been better a few generations ago. Um, he, he loves his paper Bible. And he, in fact, he's got it out right there uh, in the back. Loves his paper Bible. Now, here I am. I got my pad, my iPad, my phone, and my Bible on there, everything. You know, I keep all my notes on there, all that stuff. And he pulls out his Bible. That's cool. Look, however you want to engage in God's Word, we don't care about that. We just want you to get involved. We just want you to read it. So, uh, with a paper Bible, with your phone, your tablet, or whatever, follow along on the screen. Galatians chapter 6, 12 to 15. By the way, um, if you go to reallifecc.us and you uh, scroll down and click on my message notes, um, all the important stuff from today's message is in that uh, document that you'll be able to read. And at the end of the message, you can email um, your notes, because you can take notes on that, which is kind of cool. You can email yourself your notes and my notes and whoever's notes you want. I don't know, but uh, do that. Anyway, follow along that way too. Galatians 6, chapter 12. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. This is Paul talking to the church, this brand new church that's in the city of Galatia. People who want to impress, uh, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised. Um, that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. Then he turns it to himself. May I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I've been crucified to the world. Neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything. Now, if you're a Jew this morning, pay attention to that, all right? Like, that's a big thing. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Now, if you're new to church, this might be some of that churchy language I was talking about earlier. Um, circumcision <laughs> is weird, okay? Because it's, it's weird. First, it's weird. I just get that. It's not about the kind of thing that we do today, right? For whatever reason we do it. We do it. Circumcision was given by God to the Jews to separate them in a physical way from everybody else in the world. 
So God's desire was to take the people of Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, and to separate them from the rest of the world. So the rest of the world had a whole bunch of gods that they worshipped. Israel, you worship one God. Uh, The rest of the world had these ways that they worshipped that often involved a lot of like sexual immorality and like giving money and paying homage to these other gods. And God said, no, you're not going to do that. This is the way you're going to worship me. And if you follow me the way I've told you to follow me, then I'll be your God and you'll be my people. This is a relationship that was unlike any relationship between any false idol, false god, and the people that followed him in the rest of the world. So it's a totally new thing. And so God gave the Israelites the, the, this thing of circumcision to separate them or further separate them from the rest of the world. But guess what? And this is gross, but nobody else saw that. Nobody else knew that that was the deal, right? They didn't... (laughs) This is difficult to talk about circumcision when you're a pastor. They didn't walk around showing anybody that they were Christians because they were circumcised, okay? Like, they they didn't do that. Weird. Okay, anyway, um, that, so there's this thing, circumcision is a real thing, and, and here, after thousands of years of, of the Israelites following God and circumcising every Israelite, Paul comes along and he says, look, this thing that you've been doing in the flesh doesn't matter. Ooh, that's a big deal. Look, if you want to know what this is like, Try going into a small town, established church that's been there for, you know, 150 years and tell them that something they do every single week doesn't matter. You'll see what happens because <laughs> it's going to get all Jew Christian real fast in that place. If you do that, um, I know from experience. All right. <laughs> so look in the church and I think in our lives just in general. We try to do the right thing. We try to do the right thing in our, in our Christian life. And, but, but it becomes this wrong kind of thing, right? So while we're trying to do the right thing, we've made the Christian life about how a person dresses or what they do or what they don't do or how they talk or how much they give. But that was never what Jesus was interested in when it came to people. When people came to Jesus and they were in need or there there was a struggle with them, he never said, look, go home and and, and put a better robe on and then come back and and I'll heal you. He never said, look, you didn't ask me in the right way, so I'm not going to do what you've asked me to do. He, He didn't follow any of that stuff. He just dealt with people. Look, the Christian life isn't about how you dress or what you've done. It's about what Jesus did. You want to boil the Christian life down? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about what Jesus did on the cross. It's not about the stuff that we do to try and make ourselves feel better about our own faith. When we put more attention on the clothes we wear than the faith that we share, then the Christian life begins to get confusing. We start thinking that Christianity is about who does it better. And so our Sunday morning services, what they they end up being is a competition. A competition that every one of us is having with every other one of us, and everyone thinks that they're the one who's winning. That's how the Christian life usually goes. I'm having this this, um, 
battle in my mind with the people in my row or on the other side of the auditorium? Did they dress as well as I did? Do they talk as well? Did they raise their hands while we sang the song? If they didn't, man, I'm a better Christian because I raised my hand like the only one, though. Two two is just charismatic. You just can't do that. One is good. I'm just kidding. You ra- well, I don't care. Do this. It doesn't matter to me. I don't, I don't care if you do that. But that's what we start to think, right? When we make our Christian faith about how we dress or what we do, then we start gauging our faith based on everybody else. And did I do it better than them? And did I do it worse than them? And what we always come to the, we always come to the same conclusion that I'm doing it better than everybody else. So we always win. The reality is that you can't earn your way into heaven. That's false religion. And it creates performance anxiety in our faith instead of peace. When that happens, we're basing our Christianity on the cultural norms of the day and not on Christ. I've been in churches where they've said, you've got to keep the hymnal in the back of the chair. and You've got to sing those songs. We can't go putting songs up on the screen now, Right? Because this is how they did it back in the day. Can I just tell you something? Um, Hymnals were not present when Jesus and the disciples were singing hymns in the Bible. They didn't have a book that they looked at. They didn't have notes in that book, okay? It wasn't even a thing. So in church, we've, we've created these things. We're trying to do the right thing. Look, we want people to participate in singing. So we give them books, and we let them read so they have the words, and they could know where the notes are, and we could do harmonies and all that kind of stuff. But that wasn't the way it was with Jesus. So we've done this good thing, we think this right thing, and then we've turned it into the only thing. And we can't put the, the words up on the screen because what about the hymnals? We've got to have the hymnals. We don't have the hymnals. It's not church. So we do this weird thing. And, and pretty soon, whatever we think the culture of the church is in that day, that's the way it should be. That's the way it should always be. But as you can imagine, I got in trouble a lot uh, in the last church that I pastored. <laughs> got in trouble a lot. I, I, I remember... I remember, with the approval of the leadership of the church, I moved the communion table from the very front and center of the auditorium to the side. Now, I did that because of the, the way I communicate. I said, I don't, I don't want this big thing with... Like, so, like, if you know traditional church, you know it's not just the communion table. you got the stacks of communion trays on it, Right? You've got to have this big cross that sits higher than the communion trays, so it's up high. And then you've got to have candles on on there and all of these things you got to do on this on this table it has to be there and it creates this great big separation between me and I said look I'm the one up on the stage talking to everybody for 30 40 minutes every day I want to feel comfortable I want this to feel like a conversation I can't with this thing in the way can we move it off the side and they said yes <laughs> and then we went to church the next Sunday and people showed up And what they said was, you must not love Jesus because you moved the communion table off to the side. In Galatia, like most of the world at the time, Christianity was rapidly spreading. And the Jews were trying to hold on to the the spiritual corner on the market that they had. And, And so they would come into these newly budding Christian communities and, and they would say, 
yes, yes, Jesus came and he's the Messiah and he rose from the grave, but that doesn't, that's not an excuse for you to stop following the law that God gave Abraham, God gave Moses. So you've got you to have Jesus and then you've got to have these other things too. And so it was Jesus and other stuff. It was Jesus and the Sabbath. It was Jesus and circumcision. It was Jesus and the ceremonial, ceremonial washings that they did. So these brand new Christians were coming to this brand new faith in this risen Savior, and they're trying to figure out what does this mean for my daily life? And you've got these Jewish people here going, well, look, you, yes, you've got to follow Jesus. You've got to do what he tells you to do. But if you really want to please God, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to obey the Sabbath. You've got to do all the feasts. You've got to do all this stuff. You've got to give all this. So it's Jesus plus all these other things. So let's break down how the Jews were trying to lead Holy cow, is it 11 o'clock? Oh my goodness. I, what happened? I'm not even halfway through. Okay. Woo! All right. Let, let me just uh, give you the highlight. Holy cow. Uh, okay. Let me give you the highlights. Go to that My Message Notes things, reallifecc.us, then you'll have more stuff to look at. Okay. Here's what was going on, Jews, Christians. They had this idea of what a perfect Christian was. And so they said this, the perfect Christians are more concerned with impressing others than they are about embracing Jesus. And so the Jewish faith was all about following the rules and regulations. And then Jesus came and said, no, it's about a relationship. It's not about rules and regulations. We do those things because of our love for Christ, but they don't earn us anything. We don't get to go to heaven because we follow the rules. We get to go to heaven because Jesus died on the cross. And so it's a whole new way of worshiping, and the Jews had a very difficult time dealing with that. So they had these rules about things. And then they get mad if anybody broke those rules. Again, it was Jesus plus other things. Whew, okay. So, we have these ideas of following um, the world, being concerned with impressing others. Look, the physical signs that we show, whether it was for Jews like obeying the Sabbath, or today wearing the right kind of clothes, wearing a suit when you come to church, or putting on your Sunday best, the physical sign of obeying these rules and regulations that we have have nothing to do with the condition of your heart. So think about that. You can come to church wearing a three-piece suit and nicely signed, shined shoes. Whew! Shined shoes. And, and, and you can come into church with a heart that is completely separated from God. You look good. But there's nothing going on in here. That's a problem. Perfect Christians, second thing, perfect Christians think their obedience will earn them points with God. Points with God. The, the physical sign of their spirituality, we might say. So these Jews were bragging about their, this physical sign, circumcision of spirituality. And, and what they're, they're saying is like, like I just got to throw this in. You can put lipstick on a pig. Right? That's a saying. Put lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig. You can dress up on Sunday morning and do all this stuff. You can look the part. You can say the right things. But if there's nothing going on in your heart, it doesn't make a difference. You can put a suit on a sinner, and he's still a sinner. 
Might look a little better, but it's still a sinner. Look, uh, I came up with this all on my own. Suits don't make saints. Suits don't make saints. And we think sometimes the, the guy, the best looking guy, or the one who could pray the best, the one who like drives the nicest car in the parking lot, man, they must be spiritual because of where they're at. It has nothing to do with it. It's not about that stuff. Scripture tells us that it's the condition of the heart. We talk about that in, in baptism. Like in, in, in churchy circles, like pastor circles, we say this, you, you baptize a sinner, you get a wet sinner. They're making it like, like the baptism doesn't just like poof, everything. If you go into baptism with a black and crusty, nasty heart, and that's like, like there's no heart change, like God hasn't done anything in there, you're going to come out like that, okay? But if you go into the waters of baptism and you've opened your heart to God and go, look, I've, look, I've repented the things I've done, I confess, I'm like, here I am, God, and humbly, that's when God does that work. First Peter said, it happens through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he takes that black, crusty heart and he breaks it apart and he gives us a new one. And we come up out of the water a new creation. It's the condition of our heart, not what we put on the outside. What Paul really wants us to know here is that you can't earn your way into heaven. And so it does no good as a believer to boast about your church attendance or your giving record or how many times you serve and what different areas in the church. None of that will get you past the gate. But Paul gives us the key to those gates. And here it is. It's not your performance as a believer. It's not your performance. It's God's provision in Jesus. Look, it all goes back to Jesus. That's the thing. That's the thing about faith. It all goes back to Jesus. Look, if our faith, if our salvation, if heaven relied on how we do, on how well we dress and well we speak and we know the right handshake and the right things to do, none of us would get in. None of us. So it's not on our performance. It's on God's provision. Look, Paul says, what counts is the new creation. What counts as a new creation? What counts is that this is who you were. You went and did your own things and you walked your own way and you lived your own life and you cared nothing about God. But then Jesus entered your life and he changed your heart. And now instead of living for yourself, you're living for him, which means you're living for other people. And it's no longer about how I look or how I'm dressed. It's about what Jesus has done in my life. So let me give you a couple things. When it comes to this living your life for, for Christ and, and, and not the performance thing, but, but resting in what Jesus has already done in His perfection. Look, you come to Christ, there's, there's two things you, you need to do. Two things you need to do. Number one, stop doing the things you know are sin. Now, it's not, not about your performance, but look, if you're going to come to Christ, you can't live the same life. So stop doing the things you already know are sin. And then let the Holy Spirit convict you of those other things in your life which you have and I have that need to go away. So if you come to Christ and you know what you're doing is already a sin, quit doing it. That's repentance, right? That's changing direction. That happens at different times for different people. So my progress through that sin issue stuff in my life and, and how God, the Holy Spirit, has dealt with me in that is going to be different from you. 
Which means I can't come in and say, look, you should be this at this place. You've been coming to church for a while. You should be here. I don't get to do that. I get to go, hey, are you making progress in your walk with God? Are you growing in your faith? Are you, are you seeking Him? Are you trying to look more like Him every day? If you are, then that's where I want you to be. Number one, stop doing the things you know are already sin. Number two, start doing the things you know would please God. You don't even have to be a Christian. You have to come to church all the time to go, you know what? I think this might please God if I help people, if I serve others, if I love like He loves. Those are things that we could do. Not to earn salvation, but because you've already received it. See, we do for God out of love for God, not because we'll earn something. We've already been given everything. So look, when we do this Christian thing right, what happens on the outside, how we dress and how we speak and the way we carry ourselves and how we interact with other people, what happens on the outside becomes a reflection of what's changed on the inside. That's how the Christian life is supposed to work. As God deals with our heart, that moves to the outside, and then I start acting like what's going on inside. So what should we do about this? Let me get more personal for just a second. I think that our motives matter as believers. So let me give you a few questions to ask yourself. Are you dressing well for church, for God's glory, or for yours? Do I dress well when I come to church so that people go, ooh, look at that? Or do I dress well because I want to honor God? See, there's a difference. And if I have to go to somebody else and say, uh, we dress our best for God here, I'm not dressing for God. Do you have the nicest or cleanest car in the parking lot to show off or to show respect for what God, God has already given you? In your everyday life, are you pointing to yourself all the time? Look, look what I've done, look what I give, look what I do. Or do you point to your Savior? Look what He did. Look what He's done. Is your life all about what you've done? Or is it about what Jesus did? We go, look, I'm messed up just like you. I've been there just like you. But it's Jesus who saved me. Jesus who rescued me. It's Jesus who pulled me out of the place that I was in. It's not my good works. It's not my dress. It's not my stuff. It's Jesus. Are you trying to look good or are you working to look godly? What I'm saying here is that it's not about the clothes you wear, your tattoos, your makeup, your hairdo, or what car you drive or what neighborhood you live in. The Christian life isn't about how you dress or what you've done. It's about what Jesus did on the cross. Look, if your faith remains a performance, you're trying to do the right thing and say the right thing and look the right way, you will never find peace in that faith. That's what God wants for us. He promises peace that passes understanding. This peace in our relationship with God because it's not about what I do, it's about what He's done. And that gives me peace in the life when I screw up. We got to stop judging other Christians for their walk and just look at ours. How sad would it be to get to heaven and sit down with God and have Him tell us how much He loves us? 
and to explain that in a way that just would bring us to tears. The love that God has for us. And, and, and he says in that moment while we're sitting there with him on the beach or on, the, on a bench in front of this beautiful park. And we're sitting there and everything is perfect. And he goes, look, Corey, I want you to know how much I love you. And it broke my heart that you were constantly trying to earn something I'd already given to you. I want you to rest in that and to have peace. Look, if you want to be a perfect Christian, it's not about your suit or your service or your salary. It's about your soul. You can't add to what Jesus already did. You can just accept what he's done. Look, you're going to wrap up right here. Here at Real Life, we're not going to worry about how people are dressed. We're just going to help them see Jesus. We're not going to condemn others for the sin in their life. We're going to point them to Jesus, the only one who can forgive that and restore them. We're not going to talk about our performance. We're going to talk about Jesus' perfection. It's about about worshiping Him and honoring Him. We're not going to worry about their suit. We're going to care for their soul. Because perfect Christians don't exist. So we've got to stop trying to be one. The perfect Savior died so that you and I could have peace, not just so that we could be perfect. He makes us perfect. We don't get to earn that. Look, if if you're ready to take your next step and, and stop trying to earn what God's already given you, just stop back in the back at the Connection Hub and talk to one of the folks back there about what your next step might be as you seek to just live in the peace God's already given you in Jesus. All right? Let's pray. God, I thank you for doing all the work for us already. I thank you for loving us and for going to the cross for us and to come out of the tomb for us. I thank you for being the perfect Savior because you know we couldn't be. Today, God, I hope that we experience the peace that comes from the relationship that we have with Jesus and, 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 and not because we're striving for this perfection that we can't get, not because we're following the rules or we're crossing off all the regulations, but because we have a relationship with your son. God, would you, would you help us Live in that peace. Operate in that peace. Look at others through that peace. Would you help us to help every person possible find real life in Jesus and look more like him every day? Thanks, God. In Jesus' name.